Welcome back, Golden Bear fans and student athletes. I'm Andrew Shotwell here with my co-host... Alex Laporte. It is a beautiful Friday afternoon here in the Fandry Center on the campus of Concordia. Uh, just like the other week here, we took a couple weeks off. We apologize for that, but we're ready to jump right back in. And I think we're going to give you a quick recap here of what the fall sports have been up to since uh, the last time we talked. Uh, I'll start it off here with soccer, if that's okay with you, Port. Absolutely. All righty. The women's soccer team, it's... Uh, like I said, it's been a couple weeks since we've last discussed, but it's more of the same for the Golden Bears women's soccer team. The team's record is now up to 11-0-2 and boasts a national ranking of 16th in the country and remains as the steady number two ranked central region team. Uh, that is an historic start to the Golden Bears season. And that we're is fantastic. Absolutely looking forward to continuing watching, uh, continue watching them play throughout here. Uh, they're actually on the road this weekend again. Uh, Friday, uh, no, Saturday, Friday and Sunday, sorry, MSU Moorhead and Northern State. Uh, and also a quick congratulations uh, to our female athlete of the week, Anna Hobb, and uh, also Hannah Pavic, who was named NSIC Defensive Player of the Week uh, for her performance a couple weeks back. So, right on. Uh, good luck, girls, this weekend. And, uh, Port, I know football's got a big weekend ahead as well. They do have a big weekend. Uh, the football team is actually currently sitting at. Four and three on the season, uh, coming off of a tough loss uh, to Minot State on the road. Uh, but this weekend, they're looking forward to playing at home in a big matchup uh, against the five and two Bemidji State Beavers squad. And uh, go Courier Country. Let's go, Bears. <laughs> I love it. Uh, men's and women's lacrosse, we have a championship weekend. Both teams are going to be traveling to Wayne, Nebraska to compete in the NSIC championships this Sunday, uh, looking to improve. Uh, on last year's I know the men took seventh last year uh, looking to improve that and we have some uh, very strong candidates to help us do that so good luck this weekend in Wayne Nebraska Wayne America as they like to call it um, and I think volleyball we got some home home match volleyball this there's actually a big uh, match tonight um, before I dive into that they're 16 and 4 right now they're 10 and 2 in the conference uh, they actually have a big match tonight at 6 p.m. in the Ganglehoff Center against MSU Moorhead and it is also Dig Pink Night, so everyone who plans on going to the match, uh, we recommend you wear pink to show support for, for breast cancer awareness. And I believe tomorrow they play number nine Northern State, which is always a, a great matchup. So go ladies, and good luck this weekend. And I believe the Dig Pink, they are accepting donations from parents and student-athletes. So uh, if you'd like to, uh, we'd like to, to let you know that will be happening all weekend. So if you'd like to donate, bring... Uh, whatever you feel is appropriate and uh they will be very thankful for that so absolutely and men's golf they are all wrapped up for the fall schedule uh and they went out on top they actually took home the first place trophy from the blue tiger invitational from jefferson city country club uh that's huge congratulations guys uh rolling, sophomore rolling the rock rolling the rock let's uh, go yeah putting for show here uh the f Thomas Huddle, sophomore Thomas Huddle, was the leader for the Golden Bears. He actually finished in fourth place out of the 44-man field. The Golden Bears also had top 10 finishes from junior Nick Anderson, along with the top 20 finish from sophomore Nick Navarro. So a huge a huge end to the fall schedule, and they'll look here for the brutal MN winter and look forward to the spring. Nice work, men. And on to women's golf. Uh, the women's golf team has wrapped up their fall season as well. Uh, they finished the fall season ranked 7th in scoring average in the NSIC. And Lexi Partington is representing her team as a top 25 golfer in the conference as the season comes to a close. So way to go, Lexi, and the women's squad. Uh, but it is always tough when the golf season comes to an end uh, and snow eventually starts to fall. Um, so it'll be fun when spring comes around and the team starts catching that golf bug again. Yeah, absolutely. It, it uh, certainly helps my golf game, just shutting it down completely for the for the winter. Uh, <laughs> Taking a little break. Yeah. A long break. We'll just say that. To regroup. <laughs> uh, and then finishing, uh, certainly not least, though, eSports. Um, the team just actually just last night came coming, uh, coming in hot with a sweep in, uh, in their latest Rocket League showdown. Uh, PK as a... Uh, as she goes by, absolutely dominated the competition, scoring eight of the team's 16 goals in the best of three series. Uh, and this marks the second win for the program in our history uh, at Concordia. And I know 
We're going to learn more about this today because it's fitting. We have uh, their head coach in studio today. Um, I am beyond excited. But it looks like we're going to have uh, some playoffs to look forward to next week in a, a single elimination bracket style, which I know I'm looking forward to hearing more about. So uh, before we introduce our guest here, good luck to everyone competing this weekend. Uh, bring home some more W's for us like you've been doing all uh, fall long. And stay golden. Stay, stay golden. golden. And with that, we'd like to welcome on our guest, the head esports coach at Concordia uh, in their inaugural season. Uh, thanks for coming on with us, Logan. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Woo! Awesome. So here we go. Before we dig too much into the team, I know we just talked about you guys, uh, some big playoffs coming up here. Uh, we'll just quickly, we just want to learn a little bit about you and where you came from and how you got here. So I know you were from North Dakota. And you ended up staying in North Dakota in Fargo uh, and went to NDSU at school. So kind of talk to us how, how you kind of came up and, and how you chose to stay in, in Fargo. So uh, I was born and raised. Uh, my father was in the Air Force. So we moved around a lot. And we moved to Turkey, Hawaii, uh, North Dakota, lived in South Dakota for a hot bit. And then just bouncing around in places around the Midwest. So... Uh, we eventually ended up in a small town called West Hope, North Dakota, as my mom then uh, got a job at the United States Customs Border Protection. And so did my high school there, did all the high school things with all you can do in a town of 500 people. And so that's like basketball, football, um, tried track for a hot second. And then <laughs> I played golf as well and really got the gambit of what I wanted to do, all while doing, you know, one act theater, uh, any drama that we could do which is super fun in my book. And then I really wanted to broaden my horizons, um, but also keep that nice in-state tuition. And so we went to North Dakota State University over at Fargo, and I finished my undergrad in strategic communications with an emphasis in PR over there. Um, and so can't mention NDSU without the Bison, and I was blessed at least with their program over there, and really wanted to keep working with students, keep working with uh, that development of the student through their process from freshman or transfer all the way to graduation, which brought me to my master's um, in lacrosse. And so I worked in the University of Wisconsin River Falls, did my master's for two years, and did it in student affairs administration, higher education. And then I, well, that's kind of where we have to stop because there is no esports anywhere <laughs> in that, right? But there is always sprinkled in, right? And so if we want to know a little bit about me, like I've always been playing games since uh, 10 years old. You know, I still love, you know, your traditional board games. I like any computer game that was thrown in front of me. My parents had a Nintendo 64. You know, they still had the Sega Genesis in the back. And they never played it when we were kids. You know, they played it only before they had kids, yeah. uh, which was exciting. But then we go through like moving every now and then. And then suddenly it's like, why do we have a Sega in a box? And just <laughs> right. like, well, we just have it. We're never going to like do anything with it. I was like, okay. Um, but grew up with Nintendo 64, you know, playing the, the good classics. And then we moved to like a PlayStation 2. And it, was, it wasn't as natural progression as you see from the younger generation today, where like, you start with a personalized computer or a desktop or a tower or maybe even a laptop. And you go forward from there. And... Uh, my first ever eSport that has celebrated their 10-year anniversary, which for eSports is very big, right? Yeah. Imagine you created a worldwide phenomenon 10 years ago. Right. And now you're celebrating. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, and it celebrated its 10th uh, birthday, October 16th, I believe. And I was there 10 years ago when it started. I was ready. I was playing in that beta. And I was just a kid. Right? There was people like, hey, this game is really cool. It reminds me of another game that uh, Riot Games actually developed the MOBA model. So the multiplayer online battle arena model of game. And I played that game. I enjoyed it. And then I just kept playing games and staying in tune with the, the eSports scene. Uh, it never developed a super professional scene until about three years down the road. And at that point, that's when colleges really started kind of looking at it, being like, oh, wait, is this, is this a thing now? Are people doing this? And uh, I think Robert Murray or Robert Morris developed like one of their first programs, and then it kind of blossomed into what we see here today as little pockets yeah. of esports around the country. And so for me, I did 
in my undergrad, I played Hearthstone from Tespa tournament, which was one of their first ever like Hearthstone collegiate tournaments. And then I was also playing Overwatch the entire time, which is a sport we offer here. And also still playing League of Legends because I can't let go of that game. (laughs) And throughout all of that, I then was like, you know, uh, there was no collegiate opportunities. There, There was no, at least when I was doing my undergrad and starting to see collegiate blossom into what it was known during my master's degree. I quit my part-time job and I took up uh, broadcasting for a gaming organization over in the EU. More importantly, the EU West, they're called Serenity Gaming. And I still broadcast their League of Legends games with them as a color commentator. And that really pushed me into the scene of like, what more can I do? What more can I learn? And how can I develop for a struggling region that is North America, which would be Canada and the United States? Because worldwide, esports, it's present. It's available. It's not this unique situation that people find themselves in. And so how do we build that here so that we can even compete on the national and international level as well? So did it start to get more serious and popular um, internationally uh, earlier than, like, North America? And when? I think... um, and. By, by all means, if there's any fact checkers out there, <laughs> feel free. But based on my research that I did for my capstone uh, project, which was about starting collegiate esports programs, yeah. uh, technically the first esport electronic competitive game was your arcade machines. Right. Like you'd all get around sure. and you'd compete for the high score and there'd be people that you knew were really good and you'd like cheer them on against like maybe dark horses in a, a miniature tournament. And those, those happened in the 70s. Right. And then slowly we developed into like arcades, kept shifting away, and then we developed into personal computers and then you'd stay at home and you wouldn't build that community. Whereas in like other countries, there are still like labs. You know how like in libraries and public libraries, there's still those computer labs around yeah, where people sure. would go in, print off documents. Yeah. Uh, well, there's still computer cafes in different regions around the world, but the United States didn't develop that. They just closed down their arcades and then they just pushed every gaming, every gaming opportunity online for the individual person. Um, a very consumer market based, right? Where other countries got the leg up because when they closed down arcades, the next thing they replaced it with right away was cafes where you could pay a monthly fee. They would update the computers at the cafe. They would keep the games updated. All you'd have to do is bring yourself, your account, and your friends. And that's how they made that revenue. And it was still a community builder where you could still compete for that high score. You could still be there with the best people around your area, your town, your city. And so we really lost out on that like mini movement there. And we're trying to recoup with whatever we can. So even in this metropolitan area, the Twin Cities, Concordia University St. Paul is the only area where you will find a esports arena. All right. There are places where you'll find computers and pockets of computers. There is the Left Click Lounge that is right by the U of M campus that is actually the only internet cafe where you can go in and play games, whether it be on Sega Genesis, they have N64s, and that is the only one there out of the entire Twin Cities area. And so you can see that countries and regions that have started that earlier, they would have a leg up, whether it be talent-wise, whether it be fostering uh, recreational activity. Um, And so we kind of lag behind just a little bit, but we're trying to catch up to what the market is coming, and it's coming fast, whether we like it or not. Right. Um, And that's what I'm most excited about for our students. It's awesome. So I just want to backtrack one time here. Um, so you said you actually participated in the beta, the kind of the testing of like mm-hmm. when esports was really getting uh, on their feet, and you actually participated. So uh, they had an open beta for League of Legends, and they also had an open beta for Overwatch. And these are two games that are very prominent in esports right now. A lot of prominent other games are such like Call of Duty's coming back into the fold. There used to be Warcraft three early on in the two thousands, and then there was uh, Starcraft. Starcraft 1 and 2, they're really competitive, especially in South Korea. And then there's always been like Dota, which is another form of League of Legends, but it just it's the same type of game. Right. Okay, that was going to be my next question, yeah. is if they're similar yeah. to one another. Okay. Um, but the rise in popularity determines like their foothold in the esports scene. And so while I was a part of the beta for League of Legends, 
I could see the start happen and I could see the progression, but no one knew that it would get to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nothing I can go home and be like, hey, I, I participated in this because thousands of other people also did the same thing. And at the end of the day, some really liked the game, some didn't. Some are living their lives knowing that they participated in it and they don't even know about League of Legends now. All right. And that's kind of where that comes from. You didn't know you were part of something bigger, or at least I didn't know back then that, you know, I'm going to go coach collegiate esports when I'm you know, <laughs> right. in my 20s. And so currently there are no coaches out there that are in this position that have felt that. Um, and we're entering kind of this era of transition of what does that look like? How many paths can we create into this open market? Because while I was there for the beta, I was also there for the beta for Overwatch, and I didn't think it was going to be a world phenomenon that had a championship with prize pools over like X amount of millions of dollars and players getting to know their bios, their backgrounds, where they're from, their tendencies, you know, just like our players in the NFL, NBA today, where like, you know what shoes LeBron wears. Right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you know, Michael Jordan sells his own line, but (laughs) that is slowly going to happen around esports, but with computer equipment, uh, glasses to make sure that the glare off your screen doesn't, you know, interact with your play, um, energy drinks, probably food. Like if there is a market for it, if there's a consumer that will buy it, oh, no uh, doubt. esports can really fill in that with their professional athletes so far, but it's still in the early stages for North America. If you look over to South Korea, um, there's a player called Faker and he plays league of legends. He's heralded as the greatest league of legends player ever to have played the game. And, there are players, he's in the world championship right now. They're in their uh, knockout rounds. They're in the quarterfinals. And his team, uh, South Korean Telecom 1, or SKT, they have players on their team that grew up with the game, grew up looking at Faker going, that's the best player in the world, and then suddenly playing with him. Hmm. And that's like, that's a special moment where there are players playing against this person that grew up thinking, I'm going to be pro, went pro, and are now playing with one of the best players to ever play the game. Yeah. And so this, that's special. Like I'm getting goosebumps yeah. because it's <laughs> like I watched that happen. And so that's currently a special era that I don't think we're ever going to get back in esports. I don't think we're, we're just going to evolve into what we see a traditional sports scene today. Um, and if you want to look anywhere, that would be in like South Korea or what's they're starting in China right now, which is in some regards good. Um, but they just have a larger sample size of a population that is ready for this market where we're still like apple pie, baseball, yeah. uh, nose to the grindstone football. I know that I came from that, especially from my family standpoint, my sure. family doesn't really know what I do every day. <laughs> <laughs> like he's coaches the thing and they pay him for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. So, well, his name's faker, right? Yes. What, what separates him? Cause it's, it's like other sports. Mm-hmm. Is it like, the more you practice, the better you are or the yep. better you get. Like what separates him from other players who are also really good? He's just been playing longer or he practices strategy. more. Or, yeah, strategy, yeah. that kind of stuff. Just, like that's just how his mind it's works. His decision-making under pressure. So there is a year ago, he missed actually his first ever. Since going pro, he missed his first time at the world stage. Um, and they had their first ever like losing record in their region. And it was really concerning because you're like, oh, no, is he gone? Like, what's happening? Um, And there's a lot of reasons that you can analyze that. There's analysts out there for ESPN ESPN that have analyzed that. But it wasn't that he became worse. It's that this game changes. Uh, This isn't like like football where, like, a big rule change is when you realize you couldn't touch the quarterback as much. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. And everyone was like up in arms, like we can't play the game anymore. If we flag can't. football. Yeah, we can't. <laughs> this is all flag football. Whereas every two weeks uh, for league of legends and for sometimes overwatch, these games get patched. So they want to add more stuff because in reality, these games weren't made to be esports until, or uh, like a competitive game that, you know, the rules would never change. So, these games have to be relevant. They have to invite new players. That's how the companies make money. And then they also have to make sure that the game is balanced. So when the game started, there was 40 unique characters to pick from. 
there's now over 140 unique characters to pick from. And all of them have different abilities. All of them have different numbers and scaling. And when they're good in the game, when they're bad in the game, what they do, how they do it, how they affect the map, how they affect your team. And being able to analyze all of that at a professional level on a world stage makes you good in those decision makings when it's that micro level. It's me against you, me against two other people. I'm being ambushed. Like, what do I do here? And it was, he was known as the unkillable demon king because there was times where normally, like in League of Legends, you eliminate your opponent, they go back to spawn. They have to wait in timeout for like 30 seconds and then they can go back on the map again. Well, he was always on the map. <laughs> like he'd go back, he'd go buy his items and you just couldn't, you couldn't touch him. And that's what made him famous. Later, it was his decision-making with his team because these are team sports. And so before when the game was all about if one person can carry the game, now it's about how well can you work with your team. He was that one person, and he had to transition to working better with his team based on the skill set that he already possessed. And so that's what made him good. And that's why, at least from, that's why I'm passionate about coaching these things. Because at the end of the day, it's teamwork, it's decision-making, and the only thing missing from our traditional sports right now is actually being on a court, being on a field, and moving your muscles. All right? I'll take any player here that wants to play League of Legends and say that I have the same decision-making process. I'd say that it, it would rival. If you have the same mechanical skills on a keyboard, then your decision-making process and knowing the game would be at par with our athletes here or anywhere on any college campus that make good decisions in games. Those quarterbacks, those point guards, those power forwards. All right. So in my mind, it's very similar to how Faker runs. And eventually we'll see that it's that types of calls, those types of communications that really enhance how a team plays more than their individual skill or their individual skill level. Awesome. Well, did you ever have the idea or thought like, hey, I'm pretty good. I can maybe go do this. I can maybe make a run at this, make my make a name uh-huh. for myself. I did. So there's actually a tweet from Doublelift. Uh, he's a professional League of Legends player, and he goes, now is the time that we are entering where we will see dads point to a screen and go, if I had the time as a kid, I could have been pro. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And in my head, I read that, and I, get, I went, that's me, but for Overwatch. So in Overwatch, I had like a couple of top 500 accounts where I would go in and I would play. And in a region, I was a top 500 player out of everyone playing. Like millions of people. Um, I think when Overwatch launched, I had over like 10 million people like on the game. And now it's consistently higher than that every day. And I was one of the top 500. and It was really cool. And I was like, yeah, this is really fun. But there's no professional scene around it yet. Because it was season one, and I was just competing in online tournaments with the players that I had been friends with or found online. Then I get to this job, and I'm hearing that there's collegiate players that either were pro and came back to college to get an education and still are pro, or they are, go pro from college because they're that good. And in my mind, I was like, you know, if I would have just been born a little later... <laughs> There would have been a lot of different opportunities that maybe I would have like grown accustomed to. Um, but then I look back on it now, and I don't think I'd, I'd change a lot about it. I'm in a really good place right now here at Concordia University, and uh, you really get to influence a lot. Uh, people have a lot of questions, as we're seeing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're very new to this, too. So, yeah. I mean, oh, we, this is awesome. when, we, when we found out we were, you were going to be our guest, we were fascinated by just you know the opportunity to learn more about how this all works. So um, it sounds... Very interesting. Um, we, we were actually just at home the other night. Uh, we were watching a playoff baseball game, mm-hmm. and the thing that comes on after was this huge uh, Rocket, Rocket League. league. Yep. And it was like, for some reason, I can't turn this off. Like, I'm like weirdly watching this yep. and like seeing how it works and like how all the fans are, how it's, uh, it was fascinating, I thought. But it, it was awesome. Uh, we we just kept watching it. You know, yeah. we, I thought I'd walk away, and then you just are still sitting there, like in awe of this, and it's actually pretty cool. Yeah, Rocket League is one we're of those fascinated. games where you just like it's soccer, but it's cars, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then the cars fly in the air because they have nitrous that they find on the ground, and they get the ball in the goal. There is no other, you know, that's how you win through your offense and through solid defense, and so. 
that's my favorite part about having Rocket League here on this campus is it's also super easily to relate to if you're just coming on new and you want to know what all of this esports hullabaloo is about. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And how does esports actually function at Concordia, like as mm-hmm. a varsity sport? So very similarly to our other traditional or physical varsity sports in that we have practices uh, for each game, so for each team, right? Yep. Uh, a common misconception is I recruit athletes or student athletes, and then they have to play all of the games. Right. No. <laughs> they, they're recruited for a specific game or they walk on for a specific game, and then we have practices with those specific games um, for less than 15 hours a week, just like any other. You know, We want to make sure that we're not pushing them away from their academics, we also want to be sure that they're prepped for their next competition. That's how we run it here. Uh, we have at least uh, dedicated people ready to work with our players at this time and then also giving them the skills they need so that when they go home or if they want to play casually, they can remember that and retain it. Um, when you go home, when you go into your house or you go back to your, your dorm room or your hall, you can't just then go to a basketball court and go like, I'm going to work on my free throws, right? Right. And especially in the winter months here, you can't even go to an open court outside and go, I'm going to work on my fundamentals. And so with games, there's a double-edged sword there. I can teach you something in practice. We can work on something as a team. You can go home and you can reinforce that. Or you can go home and relearn all the bad habits that you had developed. And so there's a fine line there as well. Um, also we practice during the day. We're not super up late at night. We're emphasizing schoolwork over anything and making sure that when we compete, we're all there and we're all ready in our arena. Uh, you can't compete from home. I'm not going to have that happen in part because, uh, there could be cheating going on. We can't monitor your progress. And more importantly, you can't be with your team at the same time. There is a, a feeling around being that physically connected, you know, having your teammate right there, having your headset on, being able to talk to them. And then at the end of it all, being able to confirm the good things and the bad things that are happening with the rest of your team, with your coaching staff. And it's all there. And we have it set up here. And I've seen it happen where I'm having practice in one room and our Rocket League's in the competitive space. And the practice is working for Overwatch on whatever. And suddenly Rocket League goes off because they scored a goal. And you can hear the excitement there. And everyone in the room just gets like chills because something good is happening. Right. Um, And I think as the program grows and expands, we'll get to see that more on a personal level, at least from the fan standpoint. Because for me, I'm just, I feel a little guilty just absorbing like all of this excitement that these players have and this dedication that they want to bring to CSP. But we got to get there. This is still our inaugural season. And we'll have Overwatch, League of Legends, and Hearthstone compete in their spring seasons next semester. So awesome. Well, I'm kind of interested going off that. Kind of walk me through a week in an esport student athlete's shoes. So, yeah. for in general, kind of what their schedule looks like, and then which you kind of touched on, but then when they're actually in practice, mm-hmm. you know, you talked about uh, developing that team atmosphere. Are you guys only in in the gaming setting, or do you guys do team bonding outside of the, out of there? And mm-hmm. then you know, is it how do you really coach? Is it one on one? You're you're breaking it down, or is it you're doing the whole team aspect? Is there individuals versus team? Because yeah. kind of all blended in. How does that work? So let's talk about. Uh, I'll talk about two types of athletes. So there's Overwatch, which is a very FPS mindset, first person mindset, and then there's League of Legends, which is third person view. It's a multiplayer online battle arena game, a MOBA game. So for both of these athletes, they have less than eleven hours of practice a week, not minus in game times. All right. Mondays for League and Overwatch, we go through film. So we talk about, like, we did we scrim someone the last week? We got film off of that. Coaches reviewed it. I'm going to have to watch it and see what I did right, what I did wrong. How can I learn from that? And then go over the fundamentals or at least what we could have garnered from watching that film. The one thing as I got into this position that any established coach had told me was, you still need to watch film. (laughs) Like, you still need to keep doing that Um, because... After polling my players, after our first couple of weeks, they're like, film is the most important part of the day because they can actually see with their teammates what is happening right. and what they could do. And we can rewind it. We can go back and we can talk about positioning. And that way for their next game, hopefully we can see that improvement. So film usually happens right away during the week. And then uh, we would have done the same with Rocket League, but their season started right away. And so we kind of had to 
go with the flow on that one. But normally it would be with all of our athletes. And Tuesday through Friday, we'll have a practice that is between three and four hours, depending on the sport and how much time is needed. And that'll be your skills training. And during that practice, you're running through your fundamentals. So every game has some sort of fundamentals. Overwatch, it's building that one ability that's going to change the game. So your ultimate. In League of Legends, quite literally, it's making sure you get enough gold to reach your item power spikes to affect the map better. League of Legends is 5v5 chess. Every micro decision you make affects the rest of the map, and you can't do it over. There is no do-over. You make a mistake, it's done. You have to live with it and move on. And so the same thing that we want to teach in all of our other sports that we do play here at Concordia is that you make a mistake, brush it off, go, right? Right. That doesn't leave in video games. There is no pause button. Um, My favorite quote is from probably my own mother and every mother around the United States, at least, which would be like, pause your game (laughs) and come to dinner. Pause your game and do this. And with League and Overwatch, you can't. You cannot pause those games. And it was, it's a struggle. Got to grind it out. To have to be like, Hi, no, there's other people here, and I have a team. I need to, I need to play this through. Like, give me, like, 20 minutes. Like, you can't, you can't do that back then, and rarely can you do that now if you don't have the understanding. And so working with those skills, those basic fundamentals, you know, communication. What are your call-outs? What are you telling each other about the map? Because not everyone sees your screen as you see it, right? Right. So what does that look like to your teammates? What does that look like to the enemy team is looking at you, but through their screen, like, how do you maintain composure, focus, and make those decisions that will win you the game? And so that's usually the midday week practice. And then the last practice of the week is usually a scrim against or a scrimmage against another team anywhere in the United States. They don't have to come here. They don't sit here and play. We don't move, uh, which is good about esports sometimes, unless we're going to like a national tournament. Unless we're winning so much, they're like, hey, we're going to fly you out. Yeah. Um, there's opportunities to do LAN events. You know, those are really fun opportunities where we could bring our students, but we wouldn't have to bring our computers or anything. Being like that, I can scrim teams multiple times, different teams, all in one day, and then garner enough film to learn about it for Monday. And that, for that off-season for Overwatch and League of Legends, is really what that learning process is. Maybe it's not making them individual players where they go home and then they play on their accounts and they get to a really good rank in their own accounts, but is making them better as a team so they can understand how each other works at the same level. And that's a week for them. And then for training, there's times where they'll practice as a team, and then they can set up individual times with me to work on -on one-on-one or two-on-one basis with another one of their teammates throughout the week, just in case that group instruction doesn't work for them. Um, Very much similar to asking your professor, like, hey, I don't really get this concept can I work with you through this because I need to learn, I need to get better. And so scheduling those on a weekly basis tells me that these players want to learn more to improve their game. Sure. That is awesome. Well, I I have a big question here as well. Um, Is it inevitable that we will see an NSIC eSports conference or Big Ten (laughs) eSports conference? And if so, how soon or not soon do you think it'll happen? So the Big Ten... Yeah, that's going to be a soon thing um, okay. because there's a, there's larger schools out there that are looking to play other larger schools. Um, going back to our Rocket League tournament, actually, there is no tiered system in collegiate esports. And so one day we could have a match against you know Arkansas State University, who has like people uh, <laughs> they just got they have a lot of their student bodies larger. Right. Right. And uh, they have potentially what could be presumed as some more resources in one area than the other. And we're up against them without any filter. There's no regulation on like those teams competing. Um, whereas we're, we could also go against a smaller school or um, a division three traditionally school who hasn't invested a lot of money or time or resources into their players. And so they might, that might show on the field court, you know, I don't want to reduce individual skill here by all means, right. a smaller school, could beat a bigger school. And that's the exciting part about esports, especially with like League of Legends and Overwatch. If you, you're on the same playing field, there isn't like a 50 man roster against a, you know, a 20 man roster. No, it's like there's five to six people on the screen and what you do matters. And so for those larger schools, they're looking to compete with the same larger schools at a very similar skill level. And that is what at least people will assume is a big 10. Now the NSIC 
It's a completely different animal. And will probably operate, if they do want to absorb that, they're going to have to get enough member schools that are already established okay. to have esports programs at a varsity level. And so once that happens, by all means, they could run that and they could partner with uh, National Association of Collegiate Esports and be like, hey, how do you run a regulation? How do you run a tournament? Because no one owns the rules for football. No one owns the rules for baseball. But the intellectual property of each of these games is run through those gaming companies. And now you have to ask them, hi, we're going to run a large-scale tournament yeah. for colleges with your game. And by the way, we can't make money off of it or else we'll have to sign a contract with you. It's a, a very, yeah, yeah, that's yep. and so very interesting. If there was a Big Ten or a bigger conference, they would have to make a deal with that company to be like, hi, we're going to run a professional thing. We'd love for you to sponsor it and really appeal to that company because more often than not, they're going to say yes if it's structured the way they would see fit. But um, if I can run a tournament at home, as long as it's free to play, I can reach out to them. Hey, say, hey, don't do anything. I'm going to have like 10 players in one room and those servers will pick up on it and be like, why are there 10 players playing in the exact same game? And basically you just have to tell them, right? If I ran a free to play tournament here, which we will do, but uh, in the future, if we were to run anything where we would receive revenue, then it would be making money off of their game. Interesting. And, yeah. And so that's kind of how that differs. Um, there's no 1v1s in the CSP esports. There's yeah. uh, team-based versus team-based, and then what that means for the overarching community as well. Very yeah. cool. So I don't know. It's probably not a misconception, but obviously you guys are not a part of the NCAA. We are not. No. And it is NACE. Yeah. And so... How do you know NCAA's rules, regulations, you, got, you know, loophole here, loophole there. How does NACE work with, do they have, you know, is it pretty much open to however you want to run it? As long as you're, you know, kind of go, doing that, um, the process of checking in with them, making sure it's okay. What's the product? How does NACE vary from the NCAA? So NACE wants to remove any limitations on a student that could prevent them from playing. Main reason for that is they want to be sure that they don't. They can run tournaments with these. What we just talked about with these publishers, right? These publishers want any and everybody to play their game, right? Right. And when they look at an organization like the NCAA or the NACE, they think, oh, they're restricting students to play the game, like based on rank or based on like individual skill level or based on if you're a full time student or if you're failing classes. And they don't want students to think, well, I can't play the, this game because I'm not that good. Right, it's right. just a better business market for them. So, NACE has taken. Hey, if you're a part of, if you're a NACE member school, you're going to be a full time student. You want to play? Fantastic. Then it's up to the institution to develop their own sort of eligibility standards. Uh, you caught me at a great time because I'm uh, ahead of. I'm the chair of the eligibility enforcement committee for NACE. Hey, so, hey. <laughs> I am. We are creating the intent to compete forms, just like you'd sign for the NCAA. Sure. Or you're um, basically saying, I'm going to compete for this institution under NACE. Right? NACE has around 150 institutions in it, but there are more institutions outside of NACE that run programs. And so I'm just creating that document for NACE members. Right? I grew up in the age where it was only NCAA. So if I were to make that document now, everyone would abide by it because that's what everyone's under. Well, there are schools that want to grab your athletes and your student athletes on esports or anywhere else. They could just be like, yeah, sure. I only verbally committed to this team. We're now creating that document that really says, hey, between the institution and the student, right. this is something you're committed to do. And if you don't want to do it, just tell us and we'll null and void that. But that's the, the issue that NACE is facing is if you lose students to another school or they transferring or they're just leaving and then they're playing for someone else, uh, we want to be sure that we're on top of what that regulation looks like um, because we're not telling the student they can't play if they don't have these boxes checked. We're telling them that if you're going to play, you're going to play for us because that's a decision you've made when you went to the school. Yeah. And so we're in the middle of that and then also updating rosters on an online database that NACE is going to be creating at the end of December so that other schools can then look up players and like, oh, is that player signed in ITC yet? And if they haven't, then I'm going to go and talk to that player. As soon as they signed one, I stay back, you know? Um, a very like a free agent, not free agent process. Sure. So uh, most schools will have a requirement to sign an ITC to play, but if they don't sign an ITC for that year and just tell their coaching staff, hey, I'm looking at other opportunities, 
that is still an open possibility. Um, we're not really looking at restrictions here, and there's nothing we can do about the overarching game companies and what they do. But for the member schools that are looking for giving their students paths to graduate, making sure that they can play in a competitive and fun manner against schools that are looking to do the exact same thing, and also making sure that the playing field is a little bit more level so we don't have part-time students here and then online students here, just making sure that we can all be in at least a similar uh, relation level where I don't have to reach out to 20 different people to schedule a match. Right. Uh, so building off that a little bit, mm-hmm. how, how do you recruit? Like, what's the process like? Do you just, there's students who go to Concordia and then they just hear about the team and then come to you? Mm-hmm. Or do you hear about players elsewhere and then get in contact with them? Yeah. Like you hear they're going to Concordia and then you get in contact with them because you hear that they play esports games. How does that work? So there are a couple of websites out there. There's uh, Be Recruited. There's the NCSA and the National or National College Student Athlete Association. I, uh, I go by acronyms. There's only so many acronyms. <laughs> right. No, yeah. um, Absolutely. And so they actually have segments on their website that are esports related. And it's like, okay. what games do you play? And then are you looking for a college? What year are you graduating? Where are your stats? And they ask the student to fill those out. Okay. I'm regularly, regularly pursuing those websites and being like, all right, so what, which student has taken the initiative? And for any potential student athletes listening out here, if you're wanting to do that, if you're wanting to be picked up by a coach, you will put the time and effort it takes to update your profile with a picture, links to your stats, and a video of you playing. That is what coaches really look for. Okay. Because it shows, if you have the video, that means you intentionally put the video up. That means that I can watch it and look at maybe a time that you outplayed an opponent or you were doing really well or the communication was really great. Um, but if you just have like a profile picture and then just like your name and your school, it's really hard for me to look for, right? So I'm looking for those profiles of people that are dedicated to see this as an opportunity then to go to a school and then succeed with our program as well. There's also high schools around the area that I go to. They have clubs. They compete in the high school esports league or the, yeah, the HSCL. And they also maybe in NASIF and other high school leagues around the country. And in Minnesota, we actually have a lot of great programs. Um, Wyzetta, for example, St. Louis Park, Washington Tech High. All three of them have been at the national level in high school in the past year wow. um, for any of their respective games. And so... High school is a little more flexible. They play a little bit more games because it operates at a club level. There is no uh, Minnesota high school sports like attribution they can give to high schools and go like, and you play esports, so we're going to help you fund that, right? So right. it is at a club level. And while it is the goal to eventually create a high school sports program around esports, um, that's definitely what I talk with our coaches about. Um, they're not currently there yet, so I have to go to these clubs and I have to be like, hi, this is an avenue. This is an avenue for scholarship. And this is what you could do, depending on your level, um, to get that scholarship, play for us, and learn and grow at Concordia University. And so very cool. there's the opportunity for face-to-face, but a lot of it is sitting in front of my computer just throwing out messages on boards going, hey, it's like a college recruitment board on Discord, and you just go, this is our institution. These are our benefits. This is what we're looking for. Message me when, if you need details. For um, sure. Is that, is that kind of becoming the norm for them? Because, I mean, I, I, I obviously wouldn't imagine myself even knowing about that, even if I feel like it wasn't mm-hmm. a game. Is it something that's pretty common knowledge for them, you know, a high school who's into gaming to know about uh, where I can put these stats and where I can link it? It's or not, is it no. so there's probably just thousands and thousands of kids that you mm-hmm. would probably want to come to Concordia that you have no idea exist? Exactly. Um, no, they're definitely uh, in a different kind of realm, especially if you didn't go to a high school that was uh, had a program, right? So they're looking to get recruited by somebody. They don't know what. Usually it's a Google search away, please. But right. um, if they don't know, they don't know, and they miss it on that opportunity. Um, because there's no high school advisors looking at esports players at the high school level and going, you know, I'm going to connect them with a coach or I'm going to connect them to this website. Um, there's very few of them, at least. The ones that do slip by then usually come back in as transfer students. And that is another thing that we see here a lot, too, is they transfer in. Or, I didn't know this was an opportunity. I went to, like, Normandale or I'm going to, you know, uh, Wisconsin Tech. 
And this is just something that would appeal to me. Here's my skill level. Am I good enough? And for a lot of players, that's a big avenue. They ask, like, am I just good enough? Because they don't know. Right. Most of the time, yes. Uh, that's the one thing that they lack is confidence. And so hopefully um, we can help them find that confidence. Yeah, that's what because, you're there for. Yeah. Right. yeah right. No, one's, right. no, one's, no one's telling them at the <laughs> high school level, oh, you're really good. Keep this up. Right. Right. At, like that we do for basketball, football. Like, hey, you could be a really good athlete if you worked on these couple of things. Nope. So there's a bunch of players out there that if they're looking for collegiate education, they're also probably playing these games at a higher level and they just are lost. If they want college, they don't know where to look. And then the application process and then figuring out, well, do colleges need me? Or is this a place where the elite gamers go and then they play? And the answer is no. Most have like a skill level variant. And if you want to join the team, by all means, we will find a way to get you involved in our program. So here's a complete hypothetical for you, which I don't know if this is going to be crazy or not, because I don't know if NACE regulates this or whatever. But let's say the, uh, the hypothetical, I, I'm a 60-year-old guy, mm-hmm. and I know now that you know it's not traditional NCAA where I lost my four years of eligibility, and all of a sudden I say, wow, Concordia has eSports, and I'm really, really good at Rocket League, and I think I could compete. Did yeah. he come back to school and play, or is there regulations to how that kind of works? So had he already graduated from a four-year? Yes. And he's looking for graduate or another bachelor? either Yeah, either bachelor or graduate, either or. So as it stands now, under NACE, you would still have five years of eligibility left. So he... In, in theory, could mm-hmm. come to Concordia and play, just be up and to And even you if, if they you... did graduate school, right? If they did graduate school, they now have those. Until the graduate program ends, they have to be full-time in their grad program, and they have to uh, attend practice you know, regularly. Anything that fits that program, they have to make sure they're obviously keeping up with, but then they would still have eligibility left in eSports. Um, here at CSP, if they were playing four years of football at the same time they're doing their undergrad, they would, with us, as it stands, I believe, have that one more year of eligibility left. Okay. So yeah. uh, being on a college campus, it still kind of restricts the how many years you actually have? Um, if they, Well, I mean, that's if they were also playing football at the same time. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. yeah. But if they weren't, then by all means, they still have their five left. Got yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, but that's just like participation as well. Um, we can have a football player also play Rocket League, um, and it won't affect their eligibility. But when it comes to just staying in, we want to prevent you staying in school just to play collegiate sports. And so we also want to make sure you're out of here graduating in Got time it. as well. Oh, that's awesome. I have one. After seeing these big matches on ESPN or Fox, whatever it may be, it's a little different here. They're not in a big 18,000 capacity arena. Selling out arenas. Right. Yeah. What does a game day look like? here at Concordia for eSports? Like, is there a team meal beforehand? Do you have a warm-up, or is it just like, hey, trust what we've been practicing on, like, let's go? Our yeah, parents, time's now. are parents, fans there watching, or is it just on Twitch? Well, kind of that atmosphere, too. We're pushing for the Twitch right now because, obviously, the more viewers we get there, the better we can really set that channel up. Um, also, the Marshall Building is relatively new for Con- Concordia to use and right. you know, create a space around, and so we're in the middle of developing... Uh, a mini spectator lounge space for parents that do want to come and support their individuals yep. or their students or their kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so we'll, we're getting to that point where spectating is going to be exciting. And we're getting to that point where for rocket league, at least we, you know, we get in, you know, we make sure everyone's there. We start warming up and then we go over the game plan for the day. And then we do like one more little warm up activity. Okay. And then you get into the game. Um, I'd never, and this is never part of my philosophy, where I would want them to just come in, oh, suddenly you're in competition. You know, right. You, yep. don't, you don't want to set them up. You want a nice curve into mm-hmm. hopefully getting that competitive edge, that intensity coming out right out of the gates. And do you show up like a half hour, an hour beforehand for the warm-ups? Or? So for, I'd like preferably uh, an hour and a half before. Okay, an hour and a half. Yep, and that's just being able to be like ready and mentally with you and yourself and your team right. in front of the unit um, showing a plate is just like, how are you ready now? <laughs> like, right. You are rushing to get here. And so it's tough. it is. Um, but that's, I mean, that goes for practices. I don't want to show up an hour early, but I do want you to 
Like when you're there, you know, show up, get ready. They have to get their peripherals ready. They got to make sure all their settings are right. Early is on time. Early is on time. <laughs> exactly. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, kind of wrapping up a couple more questions for you here. Um, what is your end vision? You know, let's not end, but you know, five years from now, maybe mm-hmm. 10 years from now, where do you see this kind of going at Concordia and kind of have other schools have, have you had a lot of out, um, people reach out to you, uh, saying I'm interested in, in maybe bringing this to my school so we can grow this, you know, in the Midwest yeah. more. Cause I know Minnesota, we're the only varsity sports program, uh, here. So, so kind of what's your vision and, and kind of what's that support been like or other people kind of reaching out? So five years, uh, we're going to have full rosters and they're going to be skill-based tryout. And it's going to be fun and streamlined. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> Let's so, go. Um, got a little pressure too there. No, like, but that's like my pressure that I need for next right. year. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's no that's, doubt. That's what we're getting at. Um, as more programs get established, which leads into the next question, we are going to have to set different standards based on how we currently play. So if I have, for example, a, as their ranks would call it, you know, a platinum level Overwatch team, and I want to recruit people at the master and grandmaster level, then what tells me is that my recruiting doesn't actually match the level of my team. So when these recruits that are up here want to know what my team currently looks like, they don't want to go down for that recruiting, right? Right. And so we would then have to build up our own levels then to match those next recruits or at least do well enough at a collegiate tournament where our plat team could beat master and grandmaster yeah. teams. And then, no, then that recruits happen. But they start by having practices, having an arena, having a department that is dedicated to these student athletes, which we do have here. And then also making sure that we have avid coaching staff as our rosters increase, um, because I do love staying here 18 hours a day. But eventually, I do need sleep. (laughs) And so making sure that the players have the best coaching staff for their needs and making sure that their needs are filled so that they can succeed in esports and academically. In five years, that's the plan. For more schools joining esports at a varsity level, um, there's currently Concordia University St. Paul and then Bethany Lutheran. And so the next ones, uh, I just talked with Bethel today. And they had questions. And then there's other like smaller institutions or community colleges that are looking just to start just a small one, right? Collegiate esports started at the club level and it still inherently operates over club rules because no one really knows how to navigate around a varsity level esports right now because there's no NCAA. Right. Um, even if there is NACE, they don't have any control over the actual games. They can't even run a tournament. Um, they are running a Rocket League tournament that they've worked out with Rocket League, but they can't do that for everything. And so... These schools are just looking for a way in so that they can like build that community around esports. And so I'm always open for people that want to ask, like, hey, how's this program start? What are you doing? What can be done? This is the program that we want to start here. And there's companies out there that are willing to help you. Obviously, please go to someone that has a program first. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but uh, building that community in Minnesota where one day we can have, you know, uh, a Minnesota esports varsity tournament that sits in the Twin Cities and people come and go throughout matches and tournaments like that's the dream mm-hmm. right i think there's certainly uh the draw for it too there is because there's really nothing here now so we're in the perfect spot where we have you know the suburbs are close and the cities are obviously right here so exactly that'd be, that'd be an awesome uh draw for people i think we'll wrap it up with this question yeah what do you have to say to people who don't believe in esports or are skeptical about or, the sport know, becoming prominent right more the people who like a personal story when I, I actually sh- the, the day I found out esports became a varsity sport, it, uh, I, I was like, oh wow, I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is a, like I don't know what to think. This is cool. I have never seen this before, and I shared it with some of my my coworkers who were older, yeah, and probably didn't grow up with any of that technology. Like, oh my goodness, what is going on today's blah blah blah. Like they might not just get it because they didn't have yeah. it, but like what? Yeah, what would you say to that? Okay, yeah. so uh, this actually happens a lot more, you know, but when I'm talking to them and they say it to my face and they're like, what you're doing doesn't exist. And then I go, okay, cool. And I leave it at that, right? If you're going to be at that mindset, it's my job based on what I do here to show you that people are interested. This is a great avenue for students. I'm not going to convince you via my words. I've tried that. It doesn't work, right? I've tried to tell 
individuals, older or not, right? We still have students on this campus that For sure. might think, well, why is these sports? Like, I why? play da 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 da. I don't, well, I don't need to follow that, right? Um, not a majority of the student body, but you know, there are people out there that are like that. And what I have to say is, like, come to one of our games. Um, watch one of our matches. See the intensity in that room and understand that that shared intensity is the exact same when you get excited about football. Right. There's a competitiveness there. When you hit a home run in baseball, right? When the crowd goes wild for a reason. What is that reason and how has it stayed competitive? Now, what I would argue, if there was any argument, is they're probably looking at those first-person shooter games or they're probably looking at Fortnite or they're probably going, oh, well, it's... Like you're just you're getting paid or you're getting rewarded for being lazy because we've seen point. computer time as like laziness. Sure. Right. Yep. But with the intentionality of running through a program in a group setting, in a team setting with communication with your teammates, understanding that you're doing things for a purpose and intention and not for fun. Um, which is the general avenue for video games, right? You play games because you want to have fun or you want a challenge. Absolutely. Um, This is where it reaches that competitive level. So it's a sport because there are mixes of competition in the play, and the players are there um, to keep it competitive. So because of that, it revolves around just, if anyone asks me that question, usually my one-liner back is, well, why should I support football? I support football here because we have a great team. But like, <laughs> yeah. uh, but more importantly, like, yeah, if you're going to school for football, devil's advocate. what if, what yeah. if, like, I don't watch football. Does that mean I'm not going to go to the game? Does that mean I don't think it's a sport? Like, right. I could still see the same thing. Like, Absolutely. why would I invest in esports? Because yeah. you believe the program can succeed, whether or not you believe it's actually something that you would do or you would send, you know, your relatives or kids to. That's beyond me. But I'm here to show you that this is, this is an avenue of importance. This is something that students are going to. This is a new market that the United States and this, you know, Canada, U.S., Mexico are really taking into account as something to really pursue. Um, in the business admin, the communication, the broadcasting, the computer science level, and so understanding that there's a lot of avenues for internships, job opportunities, um, getting contacted by like 3M and Trinity Three and going like, hey, how can we help? Is amazing for a program that just started. In April. Yeah, that is. Yeah. That's so big names. There's a lot that are coming online that we are going to see in those next five years. And so for the people that are like, well, I don't, I don't want to see this. I don't, I don't know. Um, I want you just to, to reach out and ask those questions. And if at the end of the day, you're still like, nah, that's not my cup of tea. I'm that's fine. So that's but at is. least you looked at it. Right. Yeah. You know, it's given other students, uh, opportunities opportunity, to be a yeah. part of a team and, mm-hmm. and be competitive and compete, uh, on a week-to-week basis, and it's awesome, man. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, my last question, just to kind of follow up on that, uh, because, you know, I think it partly is the generational thing. Mm-hmm. So when you're recruiting some of these kids, obviously you just put an entire team together, so you're very busy. Do you see sometimes the parents as like, no, this is absolutely not happening, and they shut you down or, like, might get oh, on yeah. you? So And the kid was really adamant, like, I really want to do this. Is it how do you kind of deal with that or what do you? Well, I, I'll bring them through like, hey, here's what we have to support your, you know, uh, what you're doing at home. Like they're already doing it at home. They've gotten successful enough where you've had a college recruiter come be like, hey, I'm willing to help like X, Y and Z through college if you can play for our team. Um, and if they say, no, we still don't want our, our, our child to be accustomed to that, um, then I still talk to the player. I was like, hey, um, my avenue is always open. My door's here. Um, because a family at this stage and age with at least college um, is usually what dictates where and when you can go, you know. And so there is that hurdle that I can talk to parents. I can show them. I can tour them around the arena, and I can give them my best sales pitch. But just as I discussed before, if that's just not something they want to do, um, I leave it up to the student. Um, we have students that are playing that we're really unsure about telling their parents like they got on and then one day they pick up a phone and they're like, oh, it's my mom and dad. And then they leave the room and I hear them going, yeah, I'm just at a thing. And I'm like, oh, so like they're not ready. And so we've had to have those conversations being like, all right, so, you know, you can tell them you're a part of this and this is okay. Yeah. Um, and if they want to remove any, you know, barriers to there, like have them reach out to me and we can talk about the benefits of what this is bringing to a student's life um, to their happiness and to their mental state of well-being, which um, historically, especially now, 
is at an all-time low for students in colleges. And so um, this is opportunity, and I would never want to take that away from a potential student, especially one that is looking to be recruited by any college, not even CSP. So, um, yeah, it's pretty simple as that. Some parents just say no. Some are just curious, and they want to know more. And that's when, as long as it's a good sales pitch, yeah, you can get it right. So yeah, Kyle so reports that I mean, thank you for uh, what you do for the student athletes here. It's 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 absolutely awesome. As it was fun getting to to understand that a little bit, the process of how that actually works. So yeah, thank you for having. Uh, or sorry, thank you for coming on the show today. And I know my favorite. Uh, I'm an old school N64 cart guy, so if you ever want to nice. run it back with me, uh, do that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a text away. Diddy Kong racing guy. I'll destroy Tony you. Hawk Pro Skater 3. Hey, <laughs> there it is. On Xbox. Perfect. All day. <laughs> All right. But, thank you, Logan. Yeah, Logan, thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All right, Golden Bear family, thank you for tuning in again to our CSP Bears podcast. That wraps up episode two. And remember, you can listen to and follow our podcast on the CSP Bears website, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio app, the list goes on. And we are also sponsored by Buzzsprout. So thanks again. Port and Shoddy are out. And stay golden, my friends.